<laughs> I'm not laughing at y'all. Laughing at one of our handsome ushers. Speaking of handsome ushers and Jim also. He, Jim had a note here. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And uh, these handsome gentlemen will be glad to give you one. You can take your Bibles and turn to the book, 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 either one. My ancestry is Dutch, so every now and then I just, I don't know whether they are or not, but it sounded good. Someone told me one time that Lockley was a Dutch name. I don't know. There's a lot of Lockleys in New York State, so that makes sense, right? There aren't a whole lot in Memphis. I discovered they're all my relatives and we don't like each other. I forgot what I was going to say. Deuteronomy. That's the book. Thank you. Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I just like to say the word. I don't know why. I had a real rare privilege this week. Not rare, but a privilege this week. I've done a lot over the years. I went on the trip with the fifth and sixth graders to Sevierville to the wilderness place up there in Smokies. Incredible. Just a, I could be doing sales for those people. That is a cool place, and I shall visit it again, God willing. It is, uh, I don't care what age you are, you have a great time. And we're going to talk about complaining today, the curse of complaining. And one of the things I wanted to share with you prior to getting into this is that this was not a message God brought to me in relation to our congregation, the church, as, as a group, because I am privileged. It's an honor for me. Uh, I love what I do, and I'm truly blessed to be able to share the Word of God and to, and to lead a group of people like you, because you're constantly encouraging me. Uh, maybe you complain to other people and it just never gets back to me. Maybe John's going to start losing his hair one day, although I doubt it. Uh, by the way, you need to pray for John. It's a curse to be his age and look as good as he does. It ain't right. So there must be some deal he's made with the devil. Anyway, I am in encouraged and lifted up. And you'll see as we go through this, what I want to share with you is, is not to let this, this tool of Satan complaining creep into your life as an individual and affect you as it did the, the nation of Israel. We'll talk about that as we walk through today's message. But my point was on the front end, I'm so encouraged when I get to go on trips like this and do things and just spend some time, not only with the, some of your children, uh, uh, it really was, I had a great time with, with some of the kids just getting to know them. And, and they, I mean, when I would joke with them, and I tend to joke and have a good time wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, and they would look at me like, but, but Pastor Randy, you're not supposed to be funny. And you're not supposed to have a good time. And I said, well, you shouldn't, hang it, shouldn't be hanging out with me. And I've got some pictures that I will be sharing. But it's not just getting to know the kids. It was the uh, workers. And two of them are on the back row back here, these young ladies. Why don't y'all stand up so we can embarrass you? Thank you. <laughs> Melissa and Cameron, well, you can sit down now or you can stand up the entire message. And they did some things that were very embarrassing that I will now articulate. I guess what's, what happens in Sevierville stays in Sevierville, right? But uh, they, I love to see teenagers who really just go and work and, and, and just want to do what the, they're asked to do. And uh, uh, Landon Brady, who's not here today, he's uh, looking at universities. He was there, and, and I've known Landon for a long time. But you know, we were all in a room together, Landon and the boy, uh, some of the boys, and we had a great time. And I just I, I look at girls like that and, and boys like Landon, and, and I realize that that one of the constant prayers of my heart is that as I share the Word of God, not just with my family and all my children are grown, but even if it's my grandchildren or anyone that I can spend some time with, and, and, and whether it's here or just 
in group settings like we did this week, just being around and getting to know people and realize that when the Lord does take my generation home, He sure is raising up a great one to follow and one after that, that as Jesus said, He will always have a witness and the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. You know, I used to think, well, when I'm gone, that's it. There, there's no hope for, for the kingdom of God. But I guess what? Apparently, he's got, God is bigger than me and is raising up others to do that. So, girls, I want to thank you again, and uh, I'll see Landon. I've got, he owes me money. All right. We're going to talk about complaining today. There's an old saying, six days God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, and on the eighth day he began to answer complaints. And I think to a great extent that's probably true. I've read a story this week about a young man who always, he grew up and he, and he lived near a monastery, and he always thought, you know, it would be cool to be a monk. I really think that's what I want to do. I want to be a monk. And I'm like, that's probably the last thing you think would be cool. But this kid really, this guy, this boy grew up wanting to be a monk. So he went to the monastery when he was of age, and he went to the abbot, and he, he said, what can I do to be a monk? I really want to join. What do I have to do? And he said, well, you could certainly do that. You can go through the process, and you can, you can be a monk. But we only have one rule. You have to come, and you have to live here. But you're only allowed to say two words a year. Every 12 months, you're allowed to say two words. That's it. And the kid said, well, gosh, that seems rather uh, stringent, but okay, I want to do it. So he, he, he enters the process of becoming a monk. At the end of his first year, he went to Abbott, and he, said, okay, and he said, okay, what are your two words? And he said, food's bad. He said, all right, I'll take that under advisement. Come back in 12 months, and you will be allowed to say two more words. So another year goes by, and he comes with another 12 months go by, and he goes to the Abbott, and Abbott says, what are your two words for this year? He goes, bed's hard. He said, well, sorry, I'll take that under advisement. Come back in 12 months and we'll see what you have to say. So he goes to another 12 months and he goes to the abbot and he, and he, looked, and he says, what do you have to say this year? He says, I quit. <laughs> and the abbot looked at him and said, well, it doesn't surprise me. You've done nothing but complaints that you got here. <laughs> I'm having a great weekend because my mother-in-law is spending the weekend with us. Now, I love my mother-in-law and I'm begging her to move in with us. And here's why. She keeps my wife from complaining. <laughs> I love it. I've developed a bad habit, my wife was explaining to me this morning, of poking out my bottom lip when I'm thinking. And she says it makes me look older than I am. And she doesn't like it. So I came out of the bathroom this morning. I'd been shaving, and I'm you know, in the kitchen, and I've got my bottom lip poked out. Because I, I don't know what I was thinking about. It's just a habit, like picking your fingernails. Anyway, Mary says, stop doing that. I'm tired of you poking out your lip like that. You look old. And my mother-in-law, who's spending the weekend with us because she fell and got hurt and she's just spending the weekend with us, she, she's sitting in, in my chair over in the uh, uh, den area, and I hear this, Mary, leave him alone. <laughs> and I went, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and I said, Memo, I'm begging you, please move in with us. <laughs> we spent a whole week. Now, if y'all tell my wife this, Good thing she doesn't have email. We spent a whole, we had a family reunion a couple of weeks ago. It's like 75 or 80 of us there went to Fall Creek Fall. We had a great time. But everything was up and down stairs. And we had our room, and then we had a meeting room that we all spent time in and hung out together. My wife was never in our room. I don't, she was always in the meeting room because she got to see her sisters and her mom and a lot of her family that she never gets to see. They were all together. And it was up and down stairs, up and down stairs, up and down stairs for four days. And, and, she, and she didn't complain one time. And she even said this, you know, I think these stairs are different than regular stairs. <laughs> you know what I thought, don't you? I ain't saying it because that's the curse of complaining. All right, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Last week, we were talking about exchanging your burden. 
that all of us go through life, and even as, as human beings, we're just burdened down with a heavy weight. We talked about, and, and Jesus said, take my burden upon you because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we want to exchange the sin and the weight of, and the legalism even of religion that just absolutely weighs us down. And Jesus said, come give it to me and have rest in me. I will take, because my burden is easy. And I want you to take it. We talked about that last week. What I want us to do this week is see the other side. And I told you this is what we're going to do. I want us to look at the nation of Israel and an entire generation of adults, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, missed out on Canaan, which means rest. Why they missed out, what happened to them as a result. And it all begins with the curse of complaining. And here's my encouragement to you as a believer, my challenge to you. And I want something you should always have in the front of your mind. That's why being in the Word of God and in prayer is so important. One of the things you'll notice at the top of your handout, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, lest Satan should act, should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. If you're born again, Satan's desire for you is to destroy you as much as possible. He doesn't have you for eternity. If you're a child of God, if you're born again, if you're a Christian, you're going to die. You're going to spend eternity with God. But what he would like to do in the interim is keep you depressed, keep you down, keep you discouraged, keep you defeated, keep you ineffective. Anything he can do to keep you from being what God wants you to be, what God has called you to be, what God is wanting to do in your life. And one of his greatest tools is the tool of complaining. When you allow a negative spirit to become part of who you are, and I'm not talking about complaining about church, and I really mean that when I say we're, we're blessed. I'm talking about anything in your life. When you look around and you, you just find reasons to complain, all of us probably know someone who has a bitter spirit or a negative spirit. They never can see the good in anything. They always are, woe is me. And, and what God wants you to remember is, as Jesus was sharing with us last week, listen, I am your Savior. Come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. You're still going to have issues. You're still going to have problems, but you're going to have peace. You're going to have hope. You're going to have joy because I am God. I know about it in advance. I'm in control of it. It's not all going to be taken away. Paul begged God three times to remove his thorn in the flesh. And what was Jesus' answer to him? No, my grace is sufficient for you. For whatever reason, I'm not going to remove that thorn. But what I want you to do is to use the thorn. We'll talk more about that as we close out today. But as you get to this point in the history of the nation of Israel, one of the things I want to remind you of is that an entire generation misses out on rest because they allowed themselves to be overcome by what they saw and they began to complain. And it began with one and it grew and it grew and it grew until they just said, you know, we're not going in. We refuse to do what God has already told us to do. And so my encouragement to you is, and again, my challenge is don't let a negative spirit creep into your life because Satan will use that to just keep you depressed, keep you defeated, keep you discouraged. And if any way possible, just destroy your faith life so that you're not effective for the kingdom. And it's the last thing that God wants. Doug was sharing with us earlier today in his prayer and I really believe this, and I share it with folks all the time. From the moment you're born again, we saw just this beautiful scene today, it's in a father and his son baptized, just a, just a thrill. From the moment you're born again, and you say, I am a child of God, I'm identifying with the church of Jesus Christ, I want to be what God wants me to be. From that moment forward, 
God says, I want to use you. I want to use you. I leave you here to rest in me and share that rest with a world that's desperately seeking that because you have it in Christ. I offer it to you. You have it. Now I want you to share it with your world because if not, as Doug was praying, God would save us and take us home immediately. He leaves us to occupy until Jesus comes back and takes us all or at the moment each of us has an appointment with death when we go home, when your time is over. But in the interim, you're here, like even share it this way, you're here on vacation for God because one day you get to go home. This is a pilgrimage. It's a beautiful opportunity. But if you let a negative spirit creep in, it will defeat you, it will keep you down, and you'll not be effective for the kingdom. And it's the last thing that you should want as a child of God after all God has done for you. And a lot of times it's simply about perspective, simply about what it, looking around and saying, is it really as bad as I think it is? Is it really as bad as I think it is? Or is God at work? Is he doing something? Satan's desire is to keep you defeated. The word Satan literally means he's your adversary. He's your adversary. He's arrayed against you to do anything he can to defeat you. Some of the terms we use in the Bible to describe Satan are words like, phrases like, he's the ruler of the demons. He's the ruler of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this world. He's the great dragon. He's the roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he may devour, that being you. He is the vile one. He is the tempter. And probably the one that best describes him in relation to us is he's the accuser of the brethren. He goes before God constantly saying, look at Randy, he's an idiot. And the Lord says, yes, I know, but he's my idiot. He's mine. He's my child. The blood covers him. What God wants me to say is, I'm not going to give in. I'm going to be what God, God wants me to be. It's about perspective. All right, do look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, and let's start in verse 6. What led him to the point that all this was going on? Let's, let's look first at all at the cause of complaining. The cause of complaining. Verse 6. Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, Deuteronomy 1.6. The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowland, in the south and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them and to their descendants after them. Moses is reminding them, God has already told us, he told Abraham, he told Isaac, and he told Jacob, and it's been passed down to us generation after generation. This is our land. It's the promised land. Canaan, it, it's where our rest is. God has already given it to us, and he said to us, go in and possess it, the land of the Amorites, the land of the Canaanites. Go in and take it, possess it. I have already given it to you. Drop down to verse 19. So we departed, Moses continues. So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Present tense, it's yours. Look, the Lord God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. God has already given it to us. And every one of you came near to me, Moses, and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. In other words, we'll send out spies to check it out and then we'll go. The plan pleased me well, so I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and they went up into the mountains and they came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. 
They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it back down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. It is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. That's the context in which the cause of complaining begins. What's the cause? Number one, it's rebellion against God's word. God had already said it. He had said it. He had said it. He had said it. He had reiterated it, reiterated it over and over. The great Abrahamic covenant, being given to Isaac, given to Jacob, passed down. I am giving you a people. I'm giving you a land, and I'm giving you a seed. Now, here's the land. It's laid out before us. It's been described to us as an incredible land. God says, go in and possess it. We're rebelling against him. Look at verse 26. Nevertheless, despite the good report, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. God said, here it is. It's yours. They said, no, it isn't. We're not taking it. Why? The second thing is they simply look at the circumstances around them and they reacted to it. Look at their reaction to their circumstances. They put their eyes on what was around them instead of on God. One of the best examples of this Beautiful story is when uh, Jesus is walking on the water and he tells Peter, get out of the boat and walk toward me. Walk, you'll, I'll let you walk on the water. That'd be kind of cool. So Peter gets out of the boat. He's walking on top of the water. I don't know if you know anything about water, but that usually doesn't happen. He's walking on top of the water, and then suddenly what does he do? He takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at what's going on around him and what happens to him. Sinks like a stone because he took his eyes off Christ. They looked around at their circumstances. Despite the fact what God had said, they looked at their circumstances and said, nah, I don't think so. Look at verse 27. You complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there, or giants. I really love that. I don't love what happened here, but it's amazing to look at the nature of people. Despite the good report, despite all that God had done for them, how he had proven himself over and over again, they look at the size of the people of the Amorites, they look at the fortifications of their towns, and they look at the size of the giants, and they say, we're discouraged. The literal Hebrew there is, their hearts melted. They looked around them and said, there is no way that we can overcome this. But I want you to notice verse 27, because here's where that negative thing I was talking about begins to happen. They got together in their tents and they began to complain. Can you see this? Kind of like, we're over here and what do you think about it? Man, that dude was at least seven foot tall. He was huge. Did you see the size when they were telling us they were describing the fortifications around those towns, how many of them there are? There's no way we're going to conquer those people. But beyond, so it begins in that tent, and it's in another tent, it's going on, and then it goes from tent to tent to tent. The negativism, negativism in my life is I begin to spread it to others. It's like a cancer. But notice verse 27, because this is what happens so many times, even in the lives of Christians. You complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. You ever meditate on scripture and think about things? Is that not the most stupid statement you have ever heard? Why did God deliver them out of Egypt? They were begging him to do so. And look at how he delivered them miraculously, brings them out of slavery. They were owned by Pharaoh and he sets them free. Miracle after miracle after miracle. 
Not just the parting of the Red Sea, all the plagues and everything that providing manna in the wilderness, everything God had done. And they said, you know, God just brought us out of Egypt to bring us here because he hates us. What had God shown them over and over and over again? How much he loved them, how much he loved them. You are my people. You are my chosen ones. You are my children. Grace for the rebellion. Grace in the rebellion. Grace in their rebellion. Something, they come to a circumstance, they look around and say, oh, woe is me, and they blame God. I pray that is never what's in your heart. Now, you will have hard, difficult times in your life. Never blame God. Always remember what God has done for you, what he has given you, what awaits you. The Bible talks about the glory that awaits us. We can't even understand it, and it's talking about this life, not even the next life. We can't even mentally comprehend that one. And he says, I, you have all of this. This is what I've done for you. I loved you so much, I died for you. I give you eternal life. I love you. After all that God had done for them, they look around and say, no, God hates us. The Exodus was his plan to show us he hates us so the Amorites could destroy us instead of him doing it. Incredible. But yet it happens all the time. Where's God? How in the world could God let that happen? Who am I, the Bible says, who are you to question God? I just should be glad he shows me mercy. I don't deserve it, but he shows me mercy anyway. Shows me grace. I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me. So then they literally reject the person of God, verse 32. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you, to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Despite all he had done, you didn't believe him. You rejected him. Now look at what it cost them. Look at the cost of complaining, verse 27 and 28 again. You complained in your tents and said, well, they brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us in the land of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged us. Our hearts are melting. The people are greater and taller. The cities are great and fortified. We have seen the sons of the Anakim there. This begins to spread. This contagious disappointment and discouragement. And you start blaming God. We talked about that. And you get this defeatist attitude. Now look at verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. One of the things that happens to you as a believer, when you get your eyes off Jesus Christ and you start looking at your circumstances, you will be overcome by terror. How am I going to survive? What in the world are we going to do? Let me just encourage you with something. Your God spoke the universe into existence. He is your dad, and he's promised you to never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing you will ever encounter is bigger than your God bigger than your dad. Does not mean he will solve it the way you want it solved, but what he wants you to do is trust him because he will take care of you. He is your dad. You don't ever get defeated. You don't get discouraged when you understand who your God is. He is the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient creator of the universe who calls you son or daughter. Remember when you were a kid and you'd argue with the kids in your neighborhood, my dad can whip your dad. Well, mine could, but my heavenly father can whip anybody and has already promised me victory. I don't have to worry about it. That's why we talked about last week, I can just rest in Jesus because he is the great I am, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He knows the end from the beginning and he's in control of all of it. They were defeated, verse 42. And the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up nor fight for I am not among you lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen. 
but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and drove you back from Seir to Hormah. I'll give you a little Hebrew translation of verse 44. It said, God said, don't go out there because I'm not going ahead of you. I'm telling you, don't go fight the Amorites because you're going to lose. I'm not going to be with you. You said, no, God, we're not going to listen. We're going to do it our way. And verse 44 is, you got your tails whipped. Why? Because you didn't listen to God. Again, you said, I want to do it my way. And God, it'd be really cool if you'd like to get in on it. And God said, I'm telling you, don't do it. Do not do that. And they did it anyway, and they were defeated. But look back at verse 34 at their lost blessings. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry, and he took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also very angry with me, Moses, for your sake, saying, Even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Joshua and Caleb, out of an entire generation of adults, were the only two allowed in because they were the only two that said, let's trust God. I'm going to give you a little principle of encouragement here. There may be times when you're the only person in your entire sphere of influence that's trusting God. Trust Him anyway. Trust Him anyway. You cannot go wrong trusting God. Everybody around you may say, no, that's not the way to do it. If you obey God, you cannot go wrong. The entire generation missed out on rest. Because all they wanted to do was complain. So what's the cure for complaining? Number one, it's realize and remember and rest in God's present power. God's present power. Who is your God? We talked about it already. The fact he's omnipotent means he has all power. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He is able. His present power. His past performance. Just read through the pages of Scripture. You could see where God always did what he said he would do, always came through, and in your own life, how God has provided for you, how he saved you, how he's taken care of you. And then his proven provision, again, how he's taken care of you, how he's always been there. He's, just don't let a negative spirit overwhelm you. Because here's what happens. If a negative spirit begins to overwhelm you as an individual, and it's in your home, what are the people in your home going to? That's especially if you're a father. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader in your home, and you're just absolutely overcome by a negative spirit. Or a mom. What are your kids going to pick up on? Who you are. What's going on? And so it's going to spread in your home. And then it might spread to your sphere of influence. It could spread into your church. I've seen it. You've seen it. And it's destroyed a lot of churches, a lot of homes. And you get your eyes off Jesus and start focusing on things that are less important. Satan wants to divide one of his primary tools in the church to keep it defeated is division, schism. How can I get this group against this group? Paul wrote about it, especially the first Corinthians. That's what the whole book is about. Why are you dividing up and fighting against each other? We're supposed to be on the same team. So what's the cure to complaining? Number one, it's not, I think this is on your outline, so you may, I'm sure you want to write it down. Number one, observe. Why am I complaining? Be honest with yourself and God because he already knows. Why am I complaining? But then look at it as an opportunity. The thing that you're complaining about, how can I turn that around? What can I do to make this a positive in how I respond to my circumstances to honor God? What can I do? Instead of complaining, what can I do positively to use this in the life of somebody else? 
and then optimism. You want to observe, you want to look at the opportunity, then you want to have optimism. Be grateful and believe God is at work. On your outline, I put this verse, do all things without complaining and disputing. Satan does not want you to rest in Christ. He wants you to complain, he wants you to focus on your circumstances, and he wants you to be discouraged or, as a result, ineffective. I read a parable this week, an old parable that said a man was found a barn, and he went into the barn, and it was full of seeds. He didn't know what the seeds were, but he saw them, and he was looking at them, and he discovered these were the seeds that Satan uses to sow in the human heart to get people to complain. He said the barn was just filled with them, and he was trying to find out why, and he learned that these seeds could be made to grow almost anywhere. So he began, and he asked Satan, he said, what's the one place you can plant these seeds and they will not grow? Satan reluctantly answered and said, in a grateful heart. In a grateful heart, they won't grow. Here's the way I pray. I'm not telling you this way you should pray. I'm telling you what works for me. In, in time, and I'm not talking about just praying about something that comes up, but in my regular devotional time, when I spend time with the Lord, when I pray, I always begin by thanking God for what he's done for me. And then I begin, you know, I'll confess sin and things that I need to get right with God in my life. But I always begin by thanking him for, for all that he's done for me. Let me tell you what that does for you. It gets you focused on what's important. I'm not complaining. I'm not even asking for anything. I'm just saying, thank you, Dad, for saving me. Thank you, Dad, for my family. Thank you, Dad, for my church. Thank you for, for being so good to me. Thank you for allowing me to do what I do. And, and by the way, I want, now I want to pray for you. And what you begin to discover is you don't even end up praying for yourself. You pray for others. This person that I really care about is dying, or this person that I really love needs this, or, or my enemy. I want to pray that, Lord, they will come to you and, and that you could bless them. But you, what you begin to discover is the negative things that are in your life, the Holy Spirit will bring them to mind, and you'll confess those as sin, get them out. And you can positively say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I really be effective for you, Father? Nothing wrong with bringing your needs to God. You should talk to him about those. But I'm saying if you constantly are with an attitude of gratitude to your heavenly Father, it will enhance your prayer life exponentially as you pray for other people. You're just grateful for all that God has done for you, and you really want other people to have that same blessing. You pray for them. It's all about perspective. Not complaining with perspective. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Just sometimes, Lord, that's enough, who you are. But despite our rebellion, you sent Jesus to die for us anyway. Romans 5, 8, you tell us that even when we were in our rebellion, Jesus died for us. We didn't deserve that. You did it anyway. So I pray, Lord, that we would rest in Christ. And we wouldn't let complaining become the norm. Because a negative spirit just turns us inward instead of outward. Lord, I thank you for these people and how positive and encouraging they've been to me and in our church. Lord, I pray, Lord, for someone here that is struggling with negativism, that you would convict them of that so that they would, in their prayer life, for all of us in our prayer life, we would focus on what you have done. We would be grateful and then go out and share that God with our world. And Lord, even when we're in a difficult circumstance and it's a tragedy or, or we're hurting or being persecuted, that we would remember you want to use that, that we would even be grateful for the opportunity to go through the fire so we can be more effective for you, that we would always look optimistically for the opportunity to share Jesus. I thank you for these people. I pray for them. And Lord, if there's somebody here that needs Jesus as their Savior, that this would be their morning. They'd say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Please come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing.